Hi everyone and welcome today. Good to be with you. I'm Emma Walsh. We're here to answer your questions about preparing for parental leave and return to work. So it's the first one for the year and I'm delighted as always to be joined by author of Let's Make It Work Baby, Catherine Brooks. Hi Catherine. Hi Emma. Actually learning how to say goodbye to my child. It's totally reasonable and very likely that you're feeling a wave of emotions. Um, I've certainly found that the more prepared I am from a practical perspective, the more it eases my anxiety. You're living this return to work experience right now after the birth of your second baby, Ray, just a few months ago. And it's so great that you're here with him today. So um, everyone, you're going to hear a little gurgling happening in the background here. And I'm sure you might be in the same boat yourselves. So um, look, this is a chance to really get all your questions answered. And as I said, so we're going to help, um, we're going to encourage you to use the question panel um, on the panel and uh, we'll do our best as we go through this conversation. So Catherine, I've got to ask, what has it been like the second time around? Yeah, it's been totally different. I think um, you feel a lot more competent and like many parents, I've had a more relaxed second child. Um, but yeah, it's certainly still the same kind of juggle. You're just learning different skills because you're trying to stop the three-year-old from killing the newborn and um, <laughs> trying to juggle having a new um, au pair situation and, and learning all of that. But I think it's certainly been a lot easier. Um, I feel a lot more comfortable in, in knowing I guess realising how it's going to impact me better and then being able to plan for it. So, yeah, really enjoying it a lot more the second time. Yes. Now, I reckon, look, I look back now and I think the second time round, what a breeze. Well, for me in particular, because I had twins first, <laughs> that was always going to be more challenging. But it's this opportunity, right, to just learn from what worked last time, more importantly, what did and, and start to put that into place, you know, into plan. And look, I do know though, for many people, sometimes the second isn't the easiest at all. I do hear a lot of people that talk about the first time being much more of a breeze than the second time because there's just more going on, more children to worry about, um, you know, sorting out with childcare, etc. So, you know, everyone has a different experience depending on what it is that they're dealing with in their own family and work situations. So for many of you, you might be in a situation where the weeks and months have literally whizzed by in a blur and it is time to go back to work. And it's totally reasonable and very likely that you're feeling a wave of emotions. Most of us are sleep deprived still. You know, most of us are still struggling potentially with breastfeeding and um, potentially how we're going to do that at work and how to swap from this um, potentially parental leave in, in with your partner or, you know, passing your child over to be looked after by someone else and and wondering, gosh, how am I going to manage this? And, you know, what if I, what if I can't do it? What am I going to do then? So we thought we'd talk about that today. Catherine and I are going to really um, spend some time with you talking about a couple of key focus areas that we think will help. And the first one we want to talk about is this idea of being emotionally prepared for returning. Um, versus practically prepared for your return because I think they're very different and for many of us we do spend great amount of time putting in um, thought and consideration and conversations etc with our workplace and 
thinking about how many days a week we're going to work, what childcare centres our children are going to go to and, and how we're logistically going to get from A to B, all of those things um, we tend to go to first and, and tick off. But I'm not sure how well we do the same around our own emotional preparation, you know, how we're feeling about going back to work, how our family's feeling about that. And really starting to just acknowledge it, lean into it and actually talk about it and think about what you might proactively do to make that bit easier. I think so many of us feel like we need to put on the brave face and just get on with it and go, we'll be right. Um, and yet we're, we're feeling very fragile and emotional about the whole thing. Um, and sometimes that can be really hard to talk about. So I thought we might start there. Um, and this might be, doesn't matter whether you're already um, or you're about to go back to work and you're still on parental leave or in fact if you're back. I think this conversation is really relevant regardless of where you are in your um, you know, return to work transition stage. So Catherine, you know, what are your thoughts about this idea of being emotionally prepared for your return? What are the things that are likely to be going on for you? Yeah, I guess firstly when I became a mother, I didn't appreciate the fact that so much of my first well, 12 to 24 months about learning how to be a parent would be actually learning how to say goodbye to my child. And that might sound really depressing to some people who might think, oh, well, if it was so hard for you, why did you do it? But I think, you know, work was a real um, beneficial element in my life. And I'm really glad, you know, that I did learn to say goodbye and get some balance and have work in my life again. But it was really, really tough for me, particularly with the first, and I haven't even done it yet with the second, the thought of it makes me feel nervous. But, you know, um, easing into that childcare transition, that's, a, I think, a really crucial element, um, whether it's childcare, whether it's um, a nanny, or whether it's some kind of family care provider. I think part of um, getting emotionally ready is feeling really comfortable or as comfortable as you ever can be in leaving your children with someone else to, to mind them. So I think the clever women that I've learned from recently are the ones that um, have done it well in advance of the necessity. So rather than it being, you know, a week before you're going to return to work, they've done, um, for example, the childcare transition one month prior so that they can really get everyone adjusted um, and I think that's really clever because whilst the practical stuff getting practically prepared is different from the emotional preparation um, I've certainly found that the more prepared I am from a practical perspective the more it eases my anxiety so things like having the childcare bag packed or all the the stuff that you need to take um, having the the route ma mapped out so you know which way to go um, which, which way is going to be the best for traffic, um, getting a child used to public transport, for example, in the, in the peak hour, all of those sorts of things that you can sort of prepare um, will help the emotional anxiety, I think, of, yeah, leaving your child. But I think that, yeah, the number one tip is to sort of try and do it before you actually need to return um, so that you're easing everyone in bit by bit. Yeah, I think the reality is I always felt like this, expect it to be challenging and then you can potentially have, you know, that if it goes well, uh, it's a bonus. <laughs> so it's almost like to be prepared that this transition will take time. It's highly likely that there's going to be feelings where it's really hard in the drop off, for example, to be letting go, not only for you, but your child as well, because we're often driven by their emotions and how they're feeling. Um, and that, you know, that 
is something that just happens to most parents. I don't think there's one parent that I've spoken to in that, and my eldest are now 12, that did not at some stage have difficult drop-off situations, that mm. it is a normal situation to be, you know, saying goodbye to your child and for them to be saying, oh, oh don't go, or whatever it might be. I mean, I think certainly that is um, just a, an emotional reaction that happens there in the moment. And I was always reminded that when I picked my boys up from um, uh, preschool or childcare in those early years, they'd cry that I was actually there to pick them up because they didn't <laughs> want to go. <laughs> so I couldn't win um, either way. And I know, you know, quite a few people report having those kind of things go on for them too. So it is expect an emotional adjustment it does take some time the other thing from let's move on from the childcare and the drop-off and the saying goodbye bit let's move on to the emotional adjustment of actually being back behind a desk and that feeling of wow I've got a whole I've got to get back in tune and in touch with everything that's been going on in my absence and getting my career brain back on and yet I'm still I'm still I don't know teary from the drop off and or whatever it might be that I've, I've got all these emotions that I'm feeling um, potentially still breastfeeding How, you know what are your tips around that Catherine how's that been for you both first and second time round that that push pull of got to be back here and performing but gosh mm -hmm. we've got this little one who I can't leave yeah, my partner actually spoke to a counsellor about this and he was recommended by the counsellor to insert some kind of break between the leaving your child, wherever that is, um, and starting work. So for him, it was actually sitting down in a coffee shop and getting a cup of coffee and not being on his phone, just reading the paper, just spending half an hour to break that kind of connection um, so that he was then prepared and in the headspace to then enter the workplace. And I think that's probably a pretty good um, thing that you can do if you have time. I never had time, so I always did that on public transport. I found that a really nice sort of half an hour getting to work and just setting, resetting my brain. Um, I think the one thing yeah. that, you know, when you're starting back in the workplace, it's really important not to just dive straight into the emails and um, think that you need to be really present from the skills perspective. I think that will come, you know, a lot of parents doubt themselves after they've had some time off. But I think actually the number one thing that you should be focusing on is your own internal business development. So who are the people that you need to be touching base with that are going to be supporting you in this transition? They're the people that you should be inviting out for a coffee or having a meeting with or basically just resetting the scenes so that they understand you're back and that you're easing back in, um, you know, seeking their support through this transition period. But really doing that internal schmoozing that I see a lot of parents don't do because they think, right, you know, heads down, bums up, I've got to actually get to the work. Um, I think that's true. Obviously, you need to perform, but I think it's really important not to skip that um, internal schmoozing element because these are these are people these are humans that you're working with they may not have seen you for some time um, you know they they want to know that you're back and they might want to touch base with you and I think it's really important from a political perspective as well to just make sure that you are taking some time out to do that that schmoozing as I call it. <laughs> 
you've been out for a period, you might have only seen or spoken to them once or twice, but when you were working together before baby, you were pretty tight and, you know, you're back now and some things might have changed, but how do you actually go back and rebuild that relationship? Because as you like, they're the people that are going to, um, if you bother to put in that effort to reconnect with them, are going to be great support and allies of yours as you come back in. And often they do want to know what you're doing and how you're feeling and all the rest. But frankly, they're almost too, they don't want to intrude potentially. Um, they might be aware that it, you know, this is a transition period. Um, gosh, I wonder how she's going. Um, I won't say anything. I'll just let her ease in and just make sure, you know, mm. I say hi and stuff. But I won't say anything unless she or he brings it up. And I, so I do think there is this, um, I think the onus really is on us to say to our colleagues, I'm back, this is what I'm doing, I'm really excited or I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that and I'm so glad to see you again. Let's catch up. I'd love to hear what's been going on, um, you know, what your insights are and, and quite frankly, she's going to be a little tricky for me getting back into it for the, you know, time I've had off I'd love any tips you know so really getting people um, proactively involved in your return particularly those people that were close stakeholders of yours before you went on leave I think it's really useful um, and I, I've certainly seen when that's done well that the response that I've seen and heard from the parent themselves is gosh I felt so welcomed back so I, I do think you're right putting in the effort to reconnect with people is really important um, the other thing that strikes me of, you know, those first few weeks back at work is I see so many women in particular feel like they need to get back over and across a year's worth of work, right? That, so really this idea of um, for the first few weeks and few months, I've just got to know what was been going on. I feel so behind the eight ball. And they spend weeks and weeks and weeks really trying to catch up and I try to challenge people to go well actually all of that stuff has happened you know potentially weeks or months before you came back and trying to just get across everything that you missed in 12 months is virtually impossible and frankly I don't think necessary so how do you kind of come back in and pick up where not where you left off but where the business is ready for you to be now and I think mm. um, when I've challenged, as I said, people around, stop trying to go through a year's worth of emails, just pick up where you're coming in right now and what would add the most value to your team right now um, on you coming back. It's a great fresh line in the sand of where to start. Don't try and get across a year's worth of work because, frankly, you just can't um, and I don't think it's necessary. What, you know, what's your take on that, Catherine? How have you managed that? Yeah, I think that's really excellent advice because I guess it depends on what when you come back, although it's probably the same regardless of when you return, but you'll have a bit of fuzzy brain at the start because you're really, um, you know, switching from one mode to the next and it will feel like a whole new job again. Even if it's three months off, I think it still feels pretty new coming back and sitting behind a desk. So I think the best thing to do is think about your small wins. So if you can talk to your line manager, boss, whatever it is, and say, what are some really helpful things that I can, you know, bite-sized um, projects or pieces of work that you need done that I can tick off this week to really um, ease back in and, and get some quick wins for you? I think that's, that's a really fantastic way to start. So even if it's just three things, they're on your to-do list, they're going to be small. It might be, I'm going to write 
my first article for the for the team or um, you know something really small maybe it won't be um, client facing maybe it's something that will give you the opportunity to just research something that's happened in the business or something that's happened in your industry um, but yeah just some really small bite-sized pieces of things and I think as you tick off on those small wins you'll start feeling a lot more confident in yourself and your ability and you'll say actually just because I've been um, away from the workplace doesn't mean I've lost my brain or my capabilities. Um, I've still got heaps of skills and and things to offer. So yeah, I think just having a really short little list of quick wins that your manager wants you to do, and then it's really clear from both parties what that first week is going to entail and what you're expected to do. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think there is such, you know, there are some obviously not supportive managers, but I do think there are a lot of supportive managers out there as well, that potentially you, you're back, it's your first week or two, and your manager says to you, oh, don't worry about anything, just settle in. And you think, oh, okay, <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, so I, I think it is important that you um, have that sense of, right, here's some stuff I know I can do in the first couple of weeks back. And likewise, asking that manager the same so that you can get that sort of meeting of minds because the last thing you really want to do is try and, frankly, look busy in that first week because no one's given you any direction of what to do. So I think, mm. you know, some those first few weeks, we've just talked about the coffees of the stakeholders and, you know, key clients or, co you know, colleagues and so on that you'd love to reconnect with it, a great thing to do in that first week. You know, getting all your IT systems up and running and all that stuff that we know takes admin stuff when we're coming back to work that takes time, that's a good, you know, um, first week or two thing to do. Um, and anything else, as you say, reading and um, of some key things of where the team's at, um, you know, really going to be great orientation, you know, things mm. that you can do to make it a lot easier. Sorry, the other thing I didn't do very well the first time I returned was to communicate really clearly with the team, not just my boss, about my hours so that people didn't think, oh, where is she? She's gone already or, you know, what hours is she working? So I think just making it really clean, uh, clear, particularly in the first few weeks when you are transitioning, you know, I would always recommend to work shorter days if you can, particularly because your child might still not be um, coping too well with a different carer. So if you're going to be leaving, I think I left it about, you know, after lunch to do breastfeeding, etc. Um, in the first few weeks. So it's just to communicate that to the team and make sure that they understand that you're transitioning back, but you're going to be available in you know, whatever ways that you are going to be available so that there isn't that confusion and they don't think, oh, she's not really committed now that she hasn't had a baby. But I just think making it really clear, you know, these are the set hours, this is how I'm going to be transitioning back. And I was actually really surprised by the amount of people I had to inform and the amount of people that were actually interested. So just working out what that communication is, who sometimes you sort of think a manager or a boss is going to communicate that to the staff and they may not. So just have a chat with them about, you know, how is it going to be made aware, what my hours are, who's going to make that announcement did you want me to send a you know email circular to the team letting them know just so that everyone's aware of my availability um, I think that can also really help as well yeah definitely I mean I think that's a great way of doing it sometimes these conversations are quite mm, perhaps awkward you know we feel like oh you know I'm just about to go and say to you know 
all my colleagues that may or may not have children or, you know, that I may or may not know so well. There might be a new manager or, or new mm. new team members that you don't know. Um, trying to go up and have these conversations. Hi, I'm back. I used to do this. And by the way, my hours are X now. Um, can be kind of difficult to navigate. And I do think there's nothing like a good email <laughs> where you actually can, you know, welcome, really um, announce your own return. Um, that's yeah. where you do get the opportunity Say what you want everyone to hear. Hi, team. I'm back. For those of you I don't know, it's great to be back. This is what I do. This is my, you know, this is how long I've worked here. And for those of you who don't know me, and I'm really thrilled to be back. And I'm going to be doing X. And the first couple of weeks will be about this. And um, you know, these are the kind of hours I'll be working. And if you want to reach me, you know, here's my phone number. All that sort of stuff. Mm. It's just really simple, nice way of getting the message out to everyone in the same fashion so you're not it's not Chinese whispers around why you're back and what you're doing and how many hours you're working um, so I think that's a, always a, a good tip um, let's move on now to you know you're back and you've been you've caught up it's the you know first couple of weeks or, or month is um, has happened and you've got a better sense of uh, what's down the pipeline, if you like, of, of things to do. And it's often at that, you know, I feel like it's the same when you have a new baby. It's at that six-week mark and you're so tired when a baby's born and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't go on. I actually think we have that moment when we return to work as well, where after four or six weeks we're back and suddenly we're back, right? Yeah. We, you know, there's no, the transition has happened and everyone's got used to us being around again and suddenly this volume of work we have to do um, doubles for many of us. All the stuff we were doing before caring for baby plus now our workload. And um, so I'm thinking about how do we start to press the reset button at that point and really return with an, a new and fresh perspective and plan for how we're going to do the rest of the year. What's your thoughts on that concept of, you know, after about six weeks, pressing that reset button, having a fresh perspective and plan? Yeah, I think that's so true. I think that with flexible work, every six weeks is a really good time to actually review, is this flexible work arrangement still working? Particularly in the first year, because what worked for my first, for the first few months, was then not right when he was four months old, for example. So it was a bit of a learning curve for me that I actually had to be flexible with my flexible work arrangement. And obviously, um, I was lucky that I had an employer that was prepared to continue to see, is this working? But I think it is something that you need to think about. Um, and this is, you know, in line with a baby's sleep pattern, um, breastfeeding, for example, um, the different childcare arrangements, things just change so quickly. So I think it's a yeah, really great idea, Emma, to be thinking about um, at the six-week mark each time you get to another six weeks and actually sitting down with your partner um, too from a personal perspective and, and just looking, okay, is this working? What are the tweaks we need to make? And then talking with your manager about how you're going from a workload capacity because I think it is quite common for managers to think, oh, she's back, the same person is back, that person has the same capacity. Um, but I, I actually don't think that that's necessarily true, particularly if you're working part-time. Um, you want to be making sure you're getting 
paid for the hours that you're putting in. So sometimes you have to reset people's expectations, which can be awkward when you're trying to kick goals. But again, I think if you had those, the list of the small wins that you want to you want to achieve and that you're sort of meeting regularly and talking with them about that, then it should open up a discussion, um, particularly after that first six weeks of, um, hey, you know, I have achieved these small goals, but now there's a lot more work and it would be really good to talk about, you know, how I'm going to manage the workflow in line with my reduced hours. Yeah, I agree. I love the idea of having six-week sprints um, because we can get our heads around six weeks, can't we? And as mm. you say, stop, take stock. Okay, what's what isn't? What would I change? It's People don't do that enough. I know so many people who put the effort in, huge amounts of effort in, in that initial return to... Um, negotiating the right amount of hours and days for them and, you know, huge amounts of, you know, as I said, effort and conversation um, gets locked down. We all agree, the manager agrees, the team agrees, it's locked and loaded and off we go. What happens then is in about, yeah, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, um, weeks go by and we go, uh-oh, actually this is not quite what I thought it was going to be and this is actually hard and uh oh I've organized I've now locked in a flexible work arrangement that mm. I can't do and so and the amount of people that then just go oh well geez I should have done a better job than that and just put up with it and I go well hold on that's not flexible work flexible work is not about having a fixed plan for how you're going to work um, it really is about being agile and really going, okay, well, I did negotiate three days a week, but actually I can see I need to do four or next week I'm going to need to do two or actually that piece of, you know, project I thought I was going to need to work on um, now has a longer lead time. I probably won't be able to deliver to the same capacity. I'm going to need to have a conversation about some extra personnel or whatever it might be. But mm. people go, I can't do that. I feel bad because I already made them do three days and we've, we've, we've agreed that. And if I go back on my word, I'm not, mm. I, I'm somehow, I failed. And mm. I just see that come up time and time again. Your thoughts on that? What I really struggled with was learning to live in a state of flux because my whole life felt a little bit out of control because I was, you know, um, bound to this this newborn, this baby or toddler or whatever it is, and I, I was sort of learning how to go and ebbs, in ebbs and flows with him, um, I really wanted to control my work situation as much as possible. And what I had to learn was that it's actually okay to live in this state of flux. And if I want the workplace to be flexible, then I myself have to be flexible too. So it was, you know, it's a lot of personal development in that first year of going back to work because you're really trying to learn how you can improve your um, agility, as you said, Emma, and um, and how you can work flexibly as well as the business, um, you know, working flexibly with you. And sometimes it meant that I actually had to have tough conversations. So, you know, I could tell in one situation that my boss wasn't very happy with the arrangement. It was working really well for my son and I, but um, it wasn't making her happy. So, you know, I had to put my big girl pants on and go in and have a chat with her and say, look, I can see that this is making it hard for you, blah, blah, blah. Let's have a chat about how else could I help or what could we do to change things. Um, the other really big part of that element is that if you are putting in place flexible work arrangements and they're on a trial period or a probation period, I think that's really fantastic because it does mean that 
what you're saying is that you're not renegotiating your whole contract. You probably at the end want to go back up to your full hours or close to your full hours, but this is a trans transition period up to those full hours. So I think it also, if you do put in place um, a trial period or probation period, it does set the expectations that this is not going to be a forever period. And that could actually really work in your favour, um, particularly if you are wanting to go back up to near or full-time hours. Um, and that, you know, will obviously help financially for your family, I'm sure. But that was another thing that I had to learn. You know, you don't get the, um, you don't get the actual right to go back up to your full-time hours unless you've negotiated that there will be a transition period back up back up to those hours. If you do negotiate, for example, a two or three day a week contract, then that's your new contract. And then you have to actually renegotiate if you want to go back up to the full hours. So a trial and probation period can actually be a really good thing to put in place. I think it's incredibly important because so many of us, like when we start a new job, right? We get in, we um, you know, apply for a job, we be more interviewed, we discuss the job. Um, we get a job description and we sit down and we actually do the job and then, you know, a matter of months go by and we think, gosh, our job isn't really what the job description said. It's this, this, this and this, you know, it's, it's more than that. And so I think for many of us coming back after parental leave, it is a bit like starting a new job, right? And to be aware that you're going to need to continue to shape it because, the thing to look out for, particularly if you're returning in a part-time capacity or, or, you know, reduced hours, is job creep. You know, that whole, um, well, I'm here to do this, but suddenly you find yourself doing, you know, another set of things as well on top of that, or the role seems to be morphing and now it includes something else. And so being able to sort of come back after that sort of six-week mark to go, right, I'm, when we discussed me coming back, we talked about doing this. But I've noticed in the last six weeks there's a real urgency to do this and we didn't talk about that and maybe we need to work out how we're going to include that or whether you really want me to be doing that because I'm just conscious that I'm not doing the core bits we thought I was going to do. So mm. I, I think don't be afraid to design, to have job design conversations with your leader because the reality is even though you might have a close working relationship with your leader, um, they're not actually doing your job. Sometimes they're not really sure of or aware of exactly what you're doing on an hour-by-hour -hour basis and what's really uh, consuming your time. I know that even with my own team, and we're a small team of eight, um, I don't know what everyone in our team's doing all the time mm. and what's really keeping them consumed. And so we can't assume that our manager knows that. And so we have to be reporting back on what we see is, um, working in our job design versus what isn't. Um, so it, it, I think be clear about the work you're actually being asked and paid to do and don't assume that really it's the fact that your flexible working is the problem because it well may not be the fact that you're flexible working. It's just the job design is um, a bit murky. Perhaps it needs some more clarity um, rather than just assuming that the flexible work arrangement isn't working. Yeah, um, I think it's funny, like there is a whole lot of more obligations on you when you're not working full time. Like if someone's working full time, it's like, oh, yeah, that's the job that they do. And there's sort of less scrutiny. Whereas when someone does work part time, I think there is a little bit more scrutiny and 
we do have to be really good at that. I call it positive communication messaging. So um, even me, I try, you know, on a Monday morning to send an email to my boss um, and operations manager and say, these are the things that I'm going to be focusing on this week. Let me know if there's anything that I've missed or you want me to add in. And these are the times yes. I'll be online or these are the times that I'll be in the office. And then at the end of the week, um, just trying to communicate some wins. Now, would I do that if I was working full time, probably not. <laughs> so, um, you know, it might seem a bit unfair, but I think if we're doing it and it's going to benefit us and we can continue to work flexibly, then I think it's worth doing. Oh, I do too. I love those updates. You know, I actually do them for um, my own team as well. We get to the end of the week and I shoot through what's happened um, just so that everybody, because we work all really flexibly as well, um, oh. is in the loop as to what got done that week that was significant so it might have been some wins or it just might be some problems we've solved or whatever so people actually get a summary of what's happened and I think if we can get into the habit of doing those kind of um, yeah quick summaries just showing proactivity around keeping people in the loop around what we're doing it's always a good thing I don't think it needs to be overdone or overcooked no one wants to spend an hour giving an update at the end of each week but really yeah. just the key things that you think are significant to let you know the, the right stakeholders know doesn't go astray and frankly you know what it's really useful to read back on the following week when you think now what did I do last week what <laughs> doing this week um it's just a nice reminder of everything that we're working on and doing which is lovely I want to start to go to that space where what happens if I feel like it's not working for me right? I am feeling particularly emotional week after week it doesn't seem to be going away um whether it's caused by work or caused by the drop-off or caused by my partner or just caused, frankly, by me. Um, what are the things, Catherine, from your point of view, you think um, we can do to keep our, let's say, anxiety and emotions mm. in check? And when do, you, when do you call time out and go, you know what, mm, might need some help? Yeah. Well, I think you definitely should have three buddies. Um, I think the first one should be a female friend or a male friend who's actually doing what you're doing. So it's almost like having an agony aunt, someone that's actually living and breathing your experience. You've got them on WhatsApp and you can text them because the amount of times I've texted someone with a whinge and they have written back with their suggestion, like what they're actually doing now, have just been the best tips and I've been able to implement them and it's made the world of difference. So I think someone that's actually in the trenches with you is a really important companion. And if you don't have someone that you know, there's so many ways that you can touch base with them through other people through social media. So I think, um, yeah, definitely having that that person that you can just have a whinge to or talk about your anxieties with and then they can give you their tips about how they're handling it. But if that person isn't helpful and you kind of need to go to the next level, then I think having, you know, someone like parents at work that you can call and touch base with is really important. Someone that's actually external to the business that, um, you know, you can talk openly to and know that you're not going to, um, you know, have to really watch your words or you're not going to receive any flack from is, is really good. And then I think finally, you know, once you've received that advice from someone personally or from someone, an expert external, um, then I think it's really important to be communicating with your manager. So I think they're the three kind of communication channels that you need to have so that you can talk to someone and say, something's not working, this is not right, what can we do to have a chat about it before mm. you sort of throw your hands up and think, I've got to quit, this is not working. And, you know, often not forgetting our own sort of health practitioners around us, 
going to the GP, talking to the GP about it, getting some health advice is really important as well. Um, if you feel like you're particularly not, you know, losing it each week in a way that doesn't feel yeah. rational. Um, just knowing that if that's happening um, every day or every second day and it seems to be consistent and it's not going away, you know, yeah. going to that trusted health advisor that you have is important to, you know, talk to them about what might be happening and what you might do because so yeah. many of us experience all sorts of different emotions that we may or may not get under control. Mm. I know, for example, myself, if I don't get enough sleep, and you know, for many of us, it's often sleep-driven. Actually, I am really um, tense. I'm snappy. I'm teary. I'm, you know, and I've got used to not sleeping. I've got three kids. I had twins. You know, I've been parenting for twelve years. I am used to not having sleep, but. I know that if that goes on for a couple of days in a row where I've had really um, bad sleep habits, I, I, yeah, will easily lose it and find myself yeah. very quickly going into, I'm hopeless, what am I doing, I'm not doing this right, you know, I should know better, gosh, I'm running a business about this stuff, what, why am yeah. I so hopeless at this? So it's really easy to get into the negative spiral when we have only had, you know, Small amounts of sleep. So if that seems to be resonating with you and you just know that a lot of it is potentially sleep-driven because you're not getting decent amounts, then mm. that's what you've got to be able to prioritise on the weekends as much as you can um, to yeah. be catching up because if you're sleeping, you can't function and you can't think clearly uh, and you can't be the best parent you want to be or the ideal worker either. Yeah, and there's also a really good amount of... Um resources out there now where you can actually because you know the first thing you think about is if you have to go to the GP or book in with a counsellor you think well how am I supposed to fit that in on top of work and kids I'm barely keeping up as it is to add another appointment or another meeting that that can be really tricky yeah. but actually Beyond Blue have an amazing um, WhatsApp kind of instant message system so that you can actually go on and speak to a professional counsellor just on the computer um, you can also book in counsellors to do Skype calls with you at lunchtime. That's something that I know a lot of people close to me um, utilise. Um, one dad that I was speaking to last week actually just goes into a public um, park, a really nice park that's opposite his work. He sits under a tree and he has a Skype call with his counsellor at lunch and he debriefs, you know, what's been going on and gets some more tips on how to be a good dad and, and partner. So, you know, I think that there are lots of different options now. Um, and if you're too nervous to talk to someone, even on Skype, you can actually, as I said, do the instant message, which can really break down the barriers of getting that um, counselling support that I agree is really needed and also you know it's good to check if you've got an employee assistance program at work because then that will be a free resource that you can access and that too is a telephone counselling service that um, yeah that you can hopefully mm -hmm. utilise in a break. Well as we sort of round up this episode of Parental Leave Essentials I wanted to give you um, a taste of what Catherine and I'll be talking about next time because these are ongoing sessions. You can join us again in, in four weeks from now when we run the next one and we're going to continue every time we speak to go into 
various different deep dives into some of the stuff that we know happens around preparing for parental leave and returning to work. And I want to get you a sense of next week, we're going to continue, or next month, I should say, we're going to continue the conversation around what happens if my work or manager isn't flexible and really starting to address some of those difficult scenarios where we can actually hone in on that and spend some good time on it um, to troubleshoot when it's just not working and what are some of the things that you can really do, the extra things um, that you can do to actually navigate that beyond what we've talked about today. And the other thing that I would like to talk about is pay rises, right? This thing that we don't think we ha should have or deserve when we're coming back to work because we've been off. And the chances of you having missed a pay review or pay rise because you've been off for 12 months are probably pretty high. So how do we start to go and have that conversation around the pay rise and you know how we make sure that we're not um, going backwards when we actually return because we know the superannuation gap, the retirement gap is so large for women when they, uh, in particular when they uh, off ramp and come back in and we want to make sure that doesn't happen to you. So we're going to talk pay rises and how to start asking for that too. Catherine, any final words on today's session around that emotionally prepared versus practically prepared um, for your return conversation we started today? The only thing I would add is be kind to yourself, be really gentle. Um, as Emma said at the start, it is going to be hard no matter how good a boss you have or how good a workplace. Um, it's still tough. You're still trying to juggle more things than what you were and you're still transitioning away from your child, which is always a, um, you know, not, not so nice situation. So, yeah, just be really kind to yourself. Think of nice little rewards that you can give yourself, whether it's a really nice healthy meal at night, whether it's sneaking off um, in your lunch break for a pedicure. Just be really kind and, and gentle on yourself through this um, difficult process, but you'll get there. Catherine, as always, thanks so much for your time. I can hear that I think baby Ray might be asleep now for you. So <laughs> now the time to dial off and give you some time. Yay! And look forward to speaking to you and everyone else that's listening this time next month. Thanks, everyone.